up next on Inside Champ. Huh. Up next on Inside the SCCA, talking runoffs with a guy who knows how to get it done. On this episode of Inside the SCCA, yeah, I do two episodes. Both are called Inside Something, and I mistakenly said the other one. But on Inside the SCCA, I am honored to have with me an SCCA legend. One might actually consider him the GOAT. But we'll get to that in a minute. Six time, 16-time SCCA national champion, John Heinrichy. Hello there. How are you? Hey, Brian, I'm doing great. Hope you are, too. I'm doing great. We had some technical difficulties, but we've, we're past them now. And uh, we're going to kick back and have a good uh, 45 minutes or hours worth of conversation here. Um, so I've got you on the show for a ton of reasons. I don't actually need a reason because you're a 16-time champion. So there's a lot of brain to be picked there. There's a lot of stories to be told, if I can get them out of you. Um, but we are a week away from your opportunity to win. How many races are you entered into next week? Just one. All right. So we're a week away from your opportunity at a 17th national championship. Um, do you think about it that way or do you just go and do a race? I think it's more going to a race. Yeah. Yeah. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the number of championships or anything like that. It's, uh, it's all about, uh, winning it. Um, do you prepare differently for the 17th than you did for the first? Uh, not that I know of. Mm-hmm. I maybe am not quite as capable of preparing it as I used to be, but um, I still go about it pretty much the same way. I still um, am uh, hell on details, just making sure we've got all the details covered and all the possibilities. Uh, we've got a, a plan for everything. Uh, so, you know, just try to try to have all the uh, all the I's dotted, T's crossed, and all that kind of thing, and then go at it. Seems like I think the more pressure, the better, too. Sure, sure, sure. So I start every show the same way, and I kind of diverted from this, but I'll I'll get to it now. Um, how do did you get mixed up in this awesome sport that we love? Wow. Well, if we're talking about racing. Um, I think it's been in my blood. You know, I've always been uh, competitive since I was a little kid, especially competitive with anything that had engines, whether they're cars, trucks, pickups, tractors, you name it. Uh, so I always always was very competitive about uh, doing everything. And I, I seem to have a knack for it right from uh, the get-go. As soon as I started driving cars and driving them in high school and that kind of thing, uh, um, I didn't have much in the way of my uh, own cars, nothing but junkers in high school, but I had friends who had cars and they always let me drive them. And if there, if there was ever a drag race or something like that, that uh, was going on, they had me drive their car instead of them drive my drive their car. So that kind of uh, upbringing. And uh, then I became an automotive engineer and went to work for GM, which is, uh, I wanted to work for Chevrolet. Um, and I got that job and went to work for Chevrolet and, uh, after I'd been there probably some, something like 13, 14 years, um, I just by chance kind of got involved in some of the racing that was going on at uh, GM at that time, and much more on the grassroots side, like running the uh, 
24-hour Nelson Ledges kind of things, the longest day races. Right. Uh, there were some efforts in the, especially the Camaro group, to uh, support Dick Gullstrand, who is running uh, running those events, running in those events. And I got to know Dick, and and that kind of led me led me in the direction of road racing. Started at a pretty old age, uh, relatively speaking. I was 37 when uh, I got my first uh, racing license. Wow. And that was that was at uh, the urging of Dick. I said, well, what do I need to do here? I want to race, and I'd like to drive one of your cars if I could, and that kind of thing. He says, well, he said, I don't know if you're any good at it, mm. <laughs> and uh need to find that out, but really you need to go to get a license before you do anything. And so he told me what I had to do, and I went out getting my license, got that done, and and uh, started doing some driving on the Morrison, uh, Cook, and Gulfstrand team back in 1984, and that kind of got me started. Was that the team that ended up doing Corvette Challenge at some point? Um, we we never did the Corvette Challenge. Okay. We did the Escort Challenge. We did the Playboy right. Series and then the Escort Series. And then the Corvette Challenge started after that. Okay. And since I worked at uh, GM, it was a conflict of interest for me to drive in that series, so I didn't uh, run that series. Okay. I ran instead, continued in the Escort Series in uh, Camaros with uh, Tommy Morrison. Got it. Got it. And then after that was over, then the World Challenge started, and then I, w- I raced Corvettes in World Challenge. Sure, sure. So you said, you know, you became an automotive engineer and you always wanted to work for GM. You know, you, you could have ended up, you know, on the Chevette or the Cavalier, but you worked your way into the good cars, right? Well, I did that too. Okay. <laughs> I worked on uh, all the uh, all the mundane cars, let's say, that there are. Sure. I spent a lot of time on those before I ever got to the Corvette. Got it. But uh, I, I, I jumped, uh, believe it or not, I jumped out of uh, celebrities and citations into the Corvette. That's which a was a pretty. That's a pretty big jump. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And the guys, the guys who were in the Corvette area at that time uh, knew me. I was friends with them, and okay. uh, they knew I was a car nut and a go fast kind of person and that sort of thing. And so they thought it would be a natural fit, and it turned out to be a pretty good one. Yeah, because you know you would think possibly that you know when when you're the, the Corvette guys know there's a Citation and Chevette guy coming over, they might give you a hard time. <laughs> yeah, but they were slower, so it uh, that got past that. There you go. I just I just had to beat them. <laughs> so so what was it like at GM during that time with the first the Camaro and I guess the Corvette? Um, that was kind of in an era where. You know, we were coming out of fuel economy and cars were still kind of felt like the U.S. muscle car was neutered at that point in time. And, and it was just kind of coming out of that, right? Yes. When I started getting into the uh, Camaro and Corvette area, that was just when it was starting to pull out of that. Just converting from carburetors into uh, throttle body injection and then port fuel injection. Right. So it was just moving into that at the same time that I was coming into it. So it was, it was probably a good time. It was it was kind of like if you were uh, back in the early 60s and coming into the right. muscle car era. And this was kind of the start then of something that's been going on for a lot longer than the muscle car area era right. did when you think about it. This would have been 1982, 83 time frame all the way up to here. So it's been a 40-year run, really. Right, right. So I, I'm a teen of the 80s. And uh, I, I discovered cars in the 80s. And I, I was not a fan of the generation of Corvette before the 84, 85, 86, 
when they made the body style change there. And then they made yeah. that, that body style change. And to this day, my dream car, my, my, my high school dream car, is the 88 Corvette. Yeah, they'd gotten through kind of all the the growing pains of of getting the throttle body injectors working and all that kind of stuff. The suspension was upgraded at eighty eight, and yeah. um, um and now today, if I'm looking around on Auto Trader, I can find those eighty eight Corvettes for um you know ten grand, yeah. eight grand still running, and out here in California there probably isn't much rust, so um I'm thinking this might be the time for me to get my dream car. Might be. Yeah. I just uh, sold my uh, last C4 about uh, two years ago. Wow. That must have been. Was it hard to let it go? It kind of was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty special. It was a '96 Grand Sport, and it was serial number one. You had the number one. Number one. Yeah. Serial number one. Wow. I don't even. I had it owned, owned it since '95. Uh, it was a. It was a pilot vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. The 496. I, I won't ask you what you sold it for, but I can only imagine that went for a nice little pretty penny. It was okay. Yeah, it was okay. <laughs> That's well said. Well said. Um, so the the evolution of the Corvette from 88 to today, you know, I think in 88, the U.S. sports car market was kind of looked down upon from the rest of the world. And today, the Corvette, no one's looking down on that car. Yeah, there was a there was a pretty significant turnaround on the Corvette uh, after '88. So starting in 1990, '89, '90, '91 with the ZR1. Yep. When uh, we did the new engine for the ZR1 and did the wide body, and then followed up with the LT1 engine in 1992 with a refresh on the body and uh, jumped to 300 horse on the standard engine. Uh, those were. You know, the ZR1 was billed as king of the hill at the time, and it really was. Right. I mean, that was one of the fastest, if not the fastest car you could buy at the time. And so I think that really changed the future for Corvette. Who, who was running Chevy at that time? Uh, Do you remember? Chevrolet at that time. I'm just curious. Was that Paul, a time? It was Paul King who was the engineering uh, okay. um, general manager at that time. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Paul King. Yeah, I'm just wondering if it was was it a top down decision to put efforts into that car, because um, it seemed as though there wasn't a whole lot of interest up until about that time. I think it was a Dave McClellan interest. I right. think Dave was the spark really that that got all that going. Sure, sure. Well, thank so you. He was chief engineer on the Corvette at the time. Took over for Zora Jontoff. He'd been there for a while, all through the C3, which was prior to the uh, C4, obviously. Right. Uh, so he'd been through all that and uh, um, really wanted to do the new car, and that was the C4. And then he really wanted to bring technology into it and uh, go through the fuel injection and, you know, was into the high horsepower and ABS brakes and traction control and all of those things. I, I credit Dave McClellan with doing a lot of that. Right. Well, thank you, Dave. Those of us who are Corvette fans appreciate that. Yeah. That's awesome. Um at what point did did Chevy decide to go all in on the endurance racing, you know, the GT category? Um, when did that all kind of happen? That was uh, 99, 1999. That's with the C5. Right. We uh, engaged Pratt & Miller as the uh, 
source to build the cars and, right. and race the cars. And we had uh, GM engineers tied in with Pratt Miller working on the engineering of the cars. So that happened in 1999. And I was fortunate enough, I was, uh, what was I at that time in 1999? I was the... Uh, um, Assistant Chief Engineer with Dave Hill okay. on the uh, on the C5, and I was fortunate enough to be part of the testing program for the for the uh, racing Corvette uh, with Pratt Miller, and also got to drive the first two races, which was uh, the Daytona 24-hour and the Sebring 12-hour. 12, yep. yep. In, the, in the first two cars, I drove with uh, Andy Pilgrim and uh, Scott Sharp. Yeah, those those are some guys who know what they're doing. Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> so how is, important is it to a program like Corvette to have a guy with the the level of engineering acumen that you have behind the seat of that race car, you being able to bring that feedback back after every session? Well, I, I do think it's pretty important. Uh, it isn't absolutely necessary, but it sure can make things a whole lot easier right? if you can do it that way. So if you have somebody who is running the program, let's say, who understands that, even if they're not capable of it, if they understand it, then they still make it happen and allow it to happen and, and encourage it to happen. So you don't really have to have somebody who's knowing how to do it so much as somebody who really believes it needs to be done. Right. right. And then you can, you know, even if, if that's the type of person you have who's running the program, then you just need to make sure you have all the right people working for you who are capable of doing those kind of things. And that you uh, manage it properly. Sometimes I think that can be better because for somebody like me, you can kind of get uh, a little too bogged down in some of the details sometime and and uh, fail to see the bigger picture and keep it going. But that didn't uh, seem to, uh, in my case, that didn't hurt me. And I was able to get through all of that. But I can see where it could be a problem. Yeah. I'm always amazed at the the, the, the high-level driver world how you've got basically two different types of drivers. You've got people who've got a lot of engineering interest and background and really talk the engineering talk. And then you've got some high-level drivers who don't do any of that. They just get in the car, yeah. they strap it in, they mash the foot to the floor, they turn left, they turn right, and they're fast as can be. Um, and it always surprises me how you can get to that level and not be able to tell anybody how the car's working. Yeah. Well, you just need to you need to give them some feedback, but that's where the uh, engineers usually there's some pretty strong engineering behind those people, right? And that and that you know that all goes on and is applied, and the, the driver is obviously giving feedback and that kind of thing, but they don't really need to know much technically about what's going on sure. um, because they've got so much talent. Sure. It's just uh, when I talk and and I've I've been doing the journalism side of motorsports for a long time and and I can tell immediately when I'm talking to a driver which type of driver it is, you know, um, by the way they answer the question. You don't the, the, how is the car today, you know? And some of them will get real into the weeds with it, and others will be like, yeah, you know, it was okay, it was okay on the front half, it was not so good on the back half. I'm like, okay, I know what kind of driver you are. Um, um, and then you talk to other folks and you're like, yeah, you know, we put a quarter here, we did a half here and, and, you know, work this way. And then we had to come and it just, it's very interesting to me how there's different types of drivers and they can both be just crazy fast. Yeah. Most of the drivers that I've driven with are not the technical drivers. So is and, it, and they've been really, really good. They're really, really good drivers, but they're not the, what I call technical engineering type drivers. Is it good to have both? I think from it a is. feedback I mean, standpoint, 
I think that uh, partners that I've had racing, running with uh, like uh, Stu Hayner, uh, Don Knowles, guys who are not very technical, not very technically oriented, but extremely good, just very fast. Yeah. And uh, I thought that our discussions always were were very good and uh, and really came out with some had some really good outcomes because of having that kind of a combination of of me talking the technical part of it and they're talking a little bit. I don't know what you call that talk they're doing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but they, they give feedback, and sometimes you really had to dig to get the uh, to understand what they're talking about. So really, they had to dig into it. I, I imagine you know a guy, Dan Binks. Sure. <laughs> um, I and I, I'm trying to I'm going to get Dan on the show one of these days because you know the Binks family has a huge lineage in SCCA. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm looking forward to have him on. Um, he's, you know, he just got inducted in the hall of fame, the Corvette hall. Of I fame. know he did just a, yeah. a very recent inductee into the Corvette right. hall of fame. Um, he's kind of like a, um, almost like a soothsayer, isn't he? He's able to take that feedback from the best drivers and the, on the techie side and the non-techie side and, and turn it into stuff. Right. Yeah, he sure does. He's been real successful doing it for a long time. So, Yeah. He's got he's got the knack for that. Yeah, he's he he can listen, and I think he can he's really good at, at at discerning what someone's saying, even when they don't know how to say it. Yeah, um, that's yeah. a pretty amazing skill as well. Yeah, I had uh, I had a really good engineer on the Pratt Miller team when I was driving with them in the C five Rs at uh, Daytona and and Sebring, who was just really good at asking the right questions and interpreting and and um, trying something on the car that almost always worked. Definitely, definitely. Uh, we're going to get back to talking the the bigger Pro Series Corvette stuff at the end. Um, let's transition here for a moment, uh, for well, longer than a moment, and talk runoffs and SCCA and, and your success there. Um, when did you start doing that? Was that in 84, you said? You said well, you were, you were uh, late. Well, my very first one, I got my license was in 1984. Okay. And I, I ran, uh, you know, a couple of regionals, whatever I had to run regionals, and then ran my first national at the end of the year. And uh, then I had my full license. I did, I won my first national down in mid-Ohio. It was the, at the end of the year. Okay. Uh, the first one I entered. Um, and then the very next year, I was racing in pro in the Escort Series, Playboy and Escort Series okay. with uh, the Morrison Cook team. And that was as a result of the Dick Gullstrand pushing me in that direction. Sure, sure. When did you start doing club racing beyond um, that? Okay, I ran the Playboy, the Escort, the next Escort, and then I think my first runoffs was uh, 1990. Uh, I want to say six or seven maybe because it was, it was at Mid-Ohio, right? Okay, I won. Uh, I won at Road Atlanta okay. in GT1. My okay. first runoffs win was in Road, at Road Atlanta in GT1. Got it. Okay, and I, that was in 1993. Okay, and I think I ran. I ran uh, 91. I ran some GT in a Camaro, and I came in second at the sure. runoffs. And then the next thing I did was run GT1 in the Corvette in '93, and I won the runoffs there. And then I didn't run any more nationals or any more runoffs until. Uh, until 2000, 2001. So I didn't really start running SCCA 
seriously and run runoffs until basically 2001. Got it. Got it. And when was your first, do you remember when your first national championship was? Yeah, that was with the GT1 Corvette in 1993. Okay. And then when I came back again, it was 2001. Okay, so you had six or seven years between them. Yeah, that I never ran any uh, nationals or club racing during that time. Sure, sure. I was doing all pro stuff at the time. So you had one in 93, you came back in 2001. So basically the last 22 years, you've collected uh, 15, 15 15 medals. Right. Right. And and how many how many non first places? How many podiums do you have? Do you, do you have any idea? I really don't know. I know there's a place I can go find that, but yeah. I don't really know. <laughs> um wh- what is I think I have I have uh if not the best, I think I have pretty close to the best ratio right of uh, entering runoffs to championships. Sure. Sure. Somebody told me that. I haven't looked it up myself. And you ran more than one car several years, right? Uh, one, Yeah, I ran two quite a few years, and I ran three a couple times. Okay. That's a chore. Yeah. <laughs> and two is still a lot of work. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think I had, I had the range covered, I, and I think it was 2016, I believe, down at Daytona. I ran the... The slowest car on Daytona, the fastest car on the Daytona, and one right in between. So I had the the Beast of Exonic, which right. had a top speed of about 112 miles an hour. <laughs> and my GT1 car ran uh, 202 on the at Daytona, and then my uh, A sedan car was like 175, 74, something so, like that. So how do you train your brain to be able to realize like? I'm obviously real, but you know, to, to, to adapt yourself so quickly from one car so slow to a 200 mile an hour car coming out of turn four, heading down towards turn one, that's got to be a lot of brain power, right? Yeah. And then it's front wheel drive versus rear right. wheel drive and yeah. And you name it. So yeah, that was, that kind of covered the, the whole uh, thing there without going, I guess if there'd have been a formula car in there, that would have been pretty good too. Yeah. I, to be honest with you, I really don't know. It's just never been something I thought a whole lot about. I just got into them and drove them, and yeah, and uh, just I think I think I'm good at getting the best out of the car, right? And so it doesn't really matter whether it's front wheel drive, rear wheel drive. I just keep working at it until I get what I feel is the best out of it, and I can sense what it's not doing or I'm not doing, and then work on that, right? You know, it's it's kind of a sense for when the car is really at the limit or not. So if it's a front-wheel drive, it gets a, a different kind of a limit. Sure. But it's a sense that it is at the limit. So it's it's something like that. That's as much thought as I've ever put into it. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you wrench on your own cars when you're doing this, the club racing stuff? Quite a bit, yeah. Yeah, I've done both. I've done some where I just completely uh, get in like uh, Joe Aquilani's cars have been uh, pretty much a get in them and drive them. Um Tommy Morrison or Tommy uh, Aquilani, Joe's brother, who I who was running a sedan, um, I would help him wrench on the cars and sometimes go to his shop and help him wrench them. The uh, B Spec Sonic, I did everything myself. I built the cars and uh, wrenched them, and most of the time I was the only one there. It was me at the track with the car and did my thing. Yeah. And uh, a lot of times with Tommy on the a sedan car, it was just me and Tommy, and he might have uh, one guy. Sure. 
or he had his his two daughters would always be helping wrench on the car too. Yeah, Amy and Beth, great family. What um, what do you like more, engineering or driving? Well, I love the engineering. I do really like the engineering, but I should say I really like the engineering, but I love the driving. How's that sound? There you go. Yeah. And if I didn't do both of them, I'm not sure the whole thing, the whole package would feel very good to me. Right. I'm not not sure I'd be very good at just driving and not doing any of the engineering. Even with Pratt and Miller, they they allowed me to talk into the engineering part of it. You know. Right. Right. Um, so I just to get in the car and drive and have somebody do all the engineering and not be a part of that would be not very satisfying to me. Sure. Sure. Um. What is the key to a successful runoffs? I think it's it's uh, you uh, come up with a plan, and then you work the plan, and you work the plan in every detail that you can come up. You can change the plan if it looks like it's not the right plan, but you really have have to have a plan, and then you have to put all the detail together so that you can execute that plan and then do it. So it's kind of like the uh, objectives and the strategies and and that kind of thing and it's i know don Knowles and i uh talked about that a lot when we were preparing for the runoffs and it's like we're we're preparing our tire program you know a fourth of the way through the uh through the year we've we've started working on our tire plan for the runoffs and and what we feel is going to be the best tire that we can have for the runoffs right whether it's going to be a, a bedded in tire, a slick tire, or a witch compound tire, and and how it's going to be treated, how we're going to prepare it, so we're we're doing that early in the year, and then planning to execute that at the runoffs. Sure. Um, Just as as an example, and you do that in every area. Right. Right. So so last year we had a a tropical storm show up. <laughs> was that not the craziest weather we've ever you, you've seen at the runoffs or any race yeah. for that matter right yeah yeah that was pretty crazy and that was my that was my downfall last year i was not prepared for that kind of an event in what sense well um i we had new uh rain tires okay last year and I had never even driven on the new rain tire before the race on the runoffs. Right. Cause, so that, cause... Right, that, that, that right there would tell you something. You're not very prepared if you've never even driven on yeah. the tire that you're going to have to put on the car for the race. Because the weather was good leading up to the races. There was no rain. Yeah. It was a little windy, but it was there's no rain. Yeah. And looking, uh, and I was prepared, uh, you know, and it was kind of a last minute, have to put the rain tires on and then. Uh, I didn't think we were going to. I was sure we were not going to run the rain tires, mm-hmm. and so I hadn't put that much work into them. And uh, so we had had to put rain tires and had to put them not on our best wheels. Um, I didn't know what the pressure needed to be on the rain tires, so there's just lots of little things there that I didn't do right. Yeah, and, and we still got close. We still got close, but when you've got the guy who's who you're racing against who does do all those things right. You're kind of screwed. Exactly. <laughs> well, and, and Marshall and Marshall did that. He did everything right. Sure, sure. And you know, in 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 club racing, I I mean, I don't know what kind of a testing program you get to run, 
Um, but even in a testing program, if you don't find a, a, a test day that's raining and you just don't hit a rain race in your whole season, there's really no way to prepare a brand new rain tire, right? Yeah, and that's kind of the way it was. Uh, the places that I went, the um, driving that I did, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't rain. Yeah, you'll be ready for and it though this year. Think, <laughs> I also think I had uh, I had won the previous runoff, so I didn't have to run any racing during the year. Oh, okay. So that bit me too. So I was pretty lax on experience and doing driving. That's why I didn't run the new tires and that kind of thing. Sure, sure. So because you didn't win last year's national championship, you had to qualify this year. Yes. How has your season gone? Uh, well, it's uh, it's gone all right. So the the big change there this year is going to a different car, a new car, and a different class. Right. So out of the T four class, which I uh, ran the last uh, five years, I think in. Uh, in that in the uh, T4 class, to a T2 class, running a Cadillac sedan, a new Blackwing Cadillac. Oh, I know. We, and, uh, I knew we'd get there eventually. Was, yeah. So that's a uh, that was a pretty big change and something I decided to do. Uh, I've I've actually been kind of trying to do that for the last couple of years. Um, I spend a lot of my uh, last part of my career at GM working on Cadillac and working on the V-Series. Right. Um, I was responsible for all the engineering on the V-Series up until I retired uh, from the very first one. And so I've got a pretty uh, soft place in my heart for the uh, for the Cadillac, especially the V-Series. And uh, the people that I worked with at GM who were much younger than me, I retired and they went on and have really done a fabulous job of engineering the V-Series Cadillacs and the Blackwing Cadillacs, and I'm good friends with them. And so oftentimes, uh, sipping a bourbon, we were, we've were we been talking about racing those in club racing as well as professional racing. Uh, we started uh, pro racing in the Cadillac back when I did the first uh, V-Series Cadillac in uh, 2004. And we that's when we entered the World Challenge racing with the Cadillac program with Max Angelelli and Andy Pilgrim. And... Uh, that was very successful, and we we've all felt the need to continue that on with Cadillacs and World Challenge. And then when the World Challenge, uh, when they decided not to go that way anymore and go into the prototypes, um, the folks that I had worked with at GM were still very interested in something more grassroots like for the Corvette it's, or for the Cadillac. It's nice to have the prototypes and uh, that kind of thing. That's really a good thing for the brand, right? But I've always been a, a big fan of grassroots racing and and uh, working on the what I'd call the high volume end of that spectrum instead right. of the little one single prototype running at Le Mans or at Daytona. Um, I think you get more more of the grassroots uh, networking effect out of uh, the grassroots racing, and so um, they've been interested in that too. And we finally made it happen. Uh, this year with the Blackwing, and so I'm really pleased to be driving the car. Just, uh, it's a great car. Um, I, I wish SCCA would uh, be a little more easy on us with the BOP, <laughs> but I understand the, when you bring out a, a car the first year of the car and and that kind of thing, they are uh, more willing to keep the clamps on it until they see what it can really do, and then they can then they understand what to uh, what to allow in the BOP and not. So I understand the way that. Um, needs to be done technically. I, I, I don't like being on the end, but that end, but 
I love how us race car drivers like to set our expectations low. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so you were at Sebring, right? With the, with the, with the Blackwing? Yes. I drove uh, at uh, Homestead was the very first race right. and then Sebring the second race. So I, I, I was fortunate enough to get to call the super tour races this year on, on, the, oh. on the, on the SCCA channel and we're okay. at Sebring and, and the T2 cars come out and the first time you came by, I'm like, what? was that and then the second time i really paid attention and i'm like what in the world it, it was just the coolest looking car on the racetrack and um whether it felt good it looked good on on, on what we were able to see yeah i think we did a, a great job of uh picking the color and yeah. the, the scheme and you know the uh well, even the sponsors, it all just kind of works on the car. And it's it, to me, well, it's a beautiful car. It's and, a great looking car. And it looked like the car was working, though. It was, it was kind of with a, I mean, it looked like it was hooked up. It looked like we were able to put the power down. It looked like a very, very well sorted race car. Yeah. And in, and in fact, it's uh, completely stock suspension. That's crazy. Um, stock uh, springs and shocks and roll bars and, and bushings and, and uh, yeah. brakes. The brakes are stock. Uh, so everything about the car is quite stock. Uh, the whole the engine is engine transmission rear end is all completely stock, never been opened up, and is all using production calibrations wow. from the factory. That is so cool. So it's uh, it's it's um, it's fun to run it that way. Um, but there's there's things I keep wanting to do and I just can't do them. So right now, do you have a Toyota eighty six? That's what I was running in T4 right, before. Right, We don't so, have that anymore. So so Brittany Summers just puts in the chat, your Toyota 86 and Cadillac are the cleanest race cars I've ever seen, especially for black cars. How do you keep them clean on the racetrack? There's a guy named uh, whose name is uh, Bob Wegeman. Okay. Who, uh, and uh, he, he that is, he's doing that from the time the car comes in until it's back out on the track all the time. Drew Spoto is our... Is the manages the team and runs the team, and uh, he demands that uh, uh, he wants the car always looking its best, always. Yeah. And uh, and and Andrea, his wife, is uh, she's been really big on uh, making sure the decals are exactly right and and uh, polishing it from the time it comes off the truck till it goes back uh, on the truck. So yeah, they're very very detail oriented about that part of it. What what was his name again? Uh, Bob Wagaman. Bob Wagaman. So, Brittany, you need to find yourself a Bob Wagaman and yeah. and hire that person to keep an, and just go after you. When you stop at the grocery store, have them wipe down the car. When you stop at the at the auto parts store, have them wipe down the car. Just keep them with you everywhere you go. <laughs> so we've got a guy like that uh, who's keeping the car clean all the time. And he works on the car some with the stew, mechanic-wise. Sure. But then uh, PJ, uh, Paul Johns, is our... Uh, he manages the uh, car, the parts, the uh, hauling, and that kind of thing. And so he's got that trailer. He knows where everything is in that trailer all the time. Always on top of that. So, and then uh, Steve, Steve Morris, a mechanic on the team, is is uh, really hardworking, um, able to do anything we need mechanic-wise. And Drew is amazingly good at uh, a mechanic on the cars, too. Right. You know, our our uh, team manager, general manager of the whole operation. He is really good. He's He personally does the brake changes. He doesn't want anybody else doing brake changes. I'm going to do them. And uh, so we just kind of have that mentality about doing everything. Yeah. 
So over the course of 16 national championships and many more races than that, you've got to have some stories to tell. So dig back in the Wayback Machine. I'm going to do a little business here, and uh, I'm going to ask you to tell a story here right after I get done with this. Uh, I just want to take okay. a second here and, uh, and thank all of the folks who help us make this happen. And um, we cannot do these shows, especially our trip to the runoffs here, uh, without the good people at Goodyear Racing Tires. Uh, they are our presenting sponsor at the runoffs, and I can't thank them enough for everything they do. Also want to mention that uh, RaceKeeper is the official in-car video system of the inside the SCCA. Uh, we posted some video from Solo Nationals. Uh, it was uh, a perfect example of how good uh, the video system works and how bad I am as a solo driver. <laughs> but uh, you can get a good <laughs> chuckle out of it by watching the videos. But uh, pay less attention to my driving acumen and more attention to how great that video looks and the overlays and everything. Uh, and it's really easy uh, to do that once uh, you get the system set up. And it doesn't take that much to get it set up. So I uh, want to take uh, a chance to thank the good people at RaceKeeper. And, of course, you know, uh, SECA now requires is a front and back view uh, video camera at all of the majors and the runoffs. Um, and uh, you can use the RaceKeeper system for that, and it's at a really great price point. Uh, also want to remind the folks who are going to the runoffs that they have a contingency program with put the three stickers on there, and I believe it's $300 for a for, for first-place win uh, at the runoffs, and uh, just make sure you've got those three stickers on the car, and uh, they will be happy to write you a check if you win a, a title. And uh, I think they're also paying out through third place if you've got the stickers as well. So a uh, big thank you to Goodyear Racing Tires and Racekeeper for helping us get to the runoffs and uh, all of your support for the show. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. All right, we're back here with John Heinrichsee here, 16-time national champion. It's story time, John. Got a good one for us? Boy, that's uh, that's a tough one to come up with. Uh, good story, you know. Engineers, uh, engineering stories aren't very uh, <laughs> uh, fun to hear. All right, so tell us but about then, your hardest battle for for a championship. Well, I will tell you, last year. Uh, now I didn't win last year, but the battle with Marshall last year was pretty hard. Yeah, that was difficult in changing conditions from from almost being you know close to dry to start with, and then to being quite wet in the middle of it, and then drying up at the end of it. Uh, that was a that was a big chore. That was a a hard uh, hard race to do. Now was T four uh, the last race on Friday? Uh, I don't last remember. year. Yeah, I thought we were. I think we were early. Okay, okay. Because yeah, maybe, maybe we it was. T yeah, we were like first or second race in the morning. I think. Yeah, I think it was maybe. Then it was the, maybe T three. The final race on Friday was the worst weather conditions yeah. I've ever seen a race raced in. I honestly yeah. thought they were going to push that race to Saturday morning or Sunday yeah. or something. But they went out there, and that I believe that race was green to checker or very close to it. Those guys put on a, a, a clinic on how to drive in really junky conditions. Yeah, I think uh, 
very competitive race was my GT1 race in the first year in 1993. Okay. Uh, that was, it was a big field of uh, GT1 cars at Road Atlanta. And uh, the top few cars were uh, pretty dang close. And we had a, one or two yellows, so we had restarts to go through. So that was, uh, really had to stay on top of the game there. But I'd say the races with Andy McDermott in uh, A-Sedan have probably been the most uh, challenging. Okay. Andy McDermott and Tom Slow. Sure. Between sure. those those two guys, those have been really challenging races. Uh, T1 uh, had some good good fun racing with uh, with and against uh, Scotty White. Yep. For for half a dozen years, five years. There is one story <laughs> that has to do with uh, Scotty White. Sort of doesn't, but Scotty is part of the story just because of Scotty. Of course. <laughs> so I uh, I was out on the track with the uh, Corvette and I was running and I I came in and. Uh, and I had a flat tire. Okay. And uh, I'm talking to the crew. So there was always, we're always uh, razzing each other about Scotty White on track, off track, and 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 uh, with Scotty. So anyway, uh, uh, one of the uh, guys on the crew who uh, sometimes had a, a bit of an attitude heard me say when I came in and, and uh, I said something about uh, that uh, that big asshole. And, uh, and he <laughs> says... He says, uh, "I really what I really said was that big ass hole, re referring to the hole in the tire because it uh -huh. was blown out and had this big hole in the sidewall." <laughs> and so I said something about that big ass hole, and he thought I was talking about Scotty White. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Why would you think I was talking about Scotty White? Well, he's big, and you you know he was out there <laughs> racing with you at the time, and." And, so, but man, we got a big kick out of that. Yeah. I, I hope Scotty's listening because he probably, I probably never told him about that. Uh, Scotty's a friend of the show, so there's a good chance he is listening. Uh, yeah, that's good. I, I, I referred to him once, I think, on a, on a Super Tour broadcast. As I told people, Scotty White's a guy uh, who's not short on opinions and not afraid to share them. So, yeah. uh, um, no, he's he's a great guy, and, and he's been Yeah, on, like, if I, this year at the runoffs, i got to be sure to uh, tell him that story about that. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So do you think the, uh, the drivers in T4 are, are real upset that you're in T2 this year? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't uh, seen anything about it or, uh, yeah. or talked to any of them. So, so don't know. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know anybody who loves to make predictions, but uh, do you feel pretty good about the car going into the runoffs this year? I, I really do. I think, uh, I think we've got a chance. We have to do everything right. Um, uh, but you know, if we, if we do everything right, we've been through quite a few things this year on the car with, uh, uh just getting going, you know, with, with little things that happen and we've got to sort them out and, and, uh, come up, we have problems that we have to figure out what it is. It's just because we don't have much experience with the car and it's, it's new, uh, for racing. Yeah. Uh, but, but we worked our way through, through that. And, uh, now I think we've got. I think we can get as much as we can out of the car. Yeah. So hopefully the weather holds and we're able to make a good race out of it. I think we race mid-afternoon this time on Sunday. Okay. Okay. So, so, so yeah, I think I think the car's a, a good car. I think it looks good, sounds good, and uh, I enjoy driving it. So that's got guys who like working on it. So I think we've got the team is that really is is ready to put out all we can and show what we can do. Sure. There's lots uh, of... Now I've got I've got some good friends in uh, T two that I have to race against too, like Kurt. Yeah. Uh, Kurt at Resitano, good friends with Kurt, so that'll be fun. 
just like it was racing with uh, Marshall last year. Those guys know what they're doing. They're good. Uh, you know, how would you like to go to the runoffs and knowing that you're either going to run against um, Kurt Rezzatano, Marshall, or Andrew Aqualani? Yeah, there's some talent there. Yeah, how would you how would you like to go? And you've got <laughs> each class you're going to run in. You're going to run against those guys. Nothing wrong. So, how many cars are you running this year? I'm just going to run one though this year. Just just going to yep. run a one. Okay. okay. Yeah. Just decided to back down a little bit and focus on this one. Being a new project, it's going to take a little bit more of my time. Sure. Than uh, some of the others might. So. What um you you could go racing anywhere, I'm guessing. You could take these cars to other series and race, but you come to the SCCA and do your thing. Why do you stay with us and do do your stuff here? Um, I think that there's just a there's a big organization there that's uh, doing a lot of good things. I just uh, see the way they the way they run the events. Um, I mean, they I've been to a lot of pro events that aren't run as well as SCCA runs um, their amateur events. Yeah. They do a really good job of it, and there's the the people who are racing are kind of more involved in what they're doing and what they what's going on, you know, with uh, with their cars, both technically and from a race management standpoint. So you have have drivers who are kind of involved in all of that thing versus in the pros. You've got drivers, you've got people who manage the races, you've got people who manage the build of the car and all that kind of stuff, um, and you might be the driver who's hired to run those, drive those cars. But here in SECA, you're involved in everything from the ground up. Right. And it's it's kind of more more friends and family oriented, I think, yeah. uh, would be a way to describe it. And I, I like that atmosphere. Sure, sure. Um, let's circle back to the pro stuff just for a minute before we let you go. A um, lot of big changes in the international sports car world these days. Um the GT Lama is gone, and now it's the whole GT field has changed up. Uh, Corvette's now doing a customer car program. What are your thoughts on all of that? Um, well, it is interesting that uh, I was surprised that they were that they were focusing on a customer program. I really was surprised at that. But then, uh, when you just hear uh, what was it a couple of months ago when it was announced that uh, Pratt and Miller was going to be running a car. Um, I, I suspected something like that might happen because um, if you're if you're oriented to want to have success, um, I think in order to really kind of guarantee that success, you have to have full control over what's going on. Mm -hmm. And with uh, customer programs, you don't have full control with what's going on. Now you can still be successful with customer programs, but I think if you Want to give it your best shot? I think you need to have more control than you would on a, on a strictly customer program. Right. And then and then with a program where you've got a, a Pratt and Miller running a car, you've also got the opportunity then to help the customer programs be better. Right, right. As long as Pratt and Miller's sharing all of their secrets with the customers, that's yeah. what's key, you know. Or, or else the customer starts getting get, getting teed off. And, oh sure, and uh, you know, and I'm sure that's always the case. But it's hard to argue with the success of some of the better customer programs, the Porsche, uh, the Porsche GT3 R program. Um, yeah. There's 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 some money to be made there. So um, you know, you can spread a, you can spread the pain out across a lot of a lot more customers. 
Um, and I think there's there's some validity into the thought process to be able to do that. And Porsche has proved that they can do it pretty well. And, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why maybe Corvette decided to go that route. Yeah, well, and it's, you know, Porsche has done really well with it and they've got a lot of experience doing it. And right. that's part of, you know, their programs may not have been all that great from the start, from back when they started doing this, but they sure have made it work. Right. And so now if you if you're deciding to do a customer program now and you don't have their experience uh you're a little bit behind the eight ball sure um, yep so so i think i think bringing pratt and miller back into running a car i think can help the uh customer programs yep so it's the 60th runoffs this year um wow 60th i, I guess the... i i didn't even know that yeah so it's the 60th this year um, you're going to be around with us for, to, to race at the 70th. That's a tall order. Yeah. But I have, I have, uh, spoken to a number of my friends when they asked me about, uh, about how long I'm going to race and, you know, that kind of thing. And I said, well, I do have a goal. Okay. And they said, well, what is that goal? And I said, I want to win the runoffs when I'm 80 years old. So, and you're, and you're how old now? 76. Okay. So. So I only have four more years to do yeah. that. So you'll you'll at least be at the sixty fourth. Yeah. So and uh, and then Here maybe seventy fifth would be a tall order, but yeah, that'd be. Uh, I was just thinking the seventieth, but yeah, we'll get you there. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get you there. John, thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. We had some technical difficulties to get us on the air, but once we got on the air, this was gold like I expected it to be. So I Good. really appreciate you working through it with me. And uh, I know that uh, the folks on the other side of the, the screen here are enjoying it as well. Good. Thank you. you I enjoyed it myself. You want to thank some folks before we get out? Oh, you bet. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Wow, when uh, when Drew talked to me before this tonight, he said, "Now don't forget to mention the sponsors. You got to talk about the sponsors." And and uh, and then of course Cadillac, uh, GM and Cadillac Engineering have uh, been there to give me help on the car when I need it, um, which has been just priceless to be able to. I call it my one eight hundred phone a friend <laughs> when you when you're trying to solve a problem and you can't get there and you can't get there and finally you do that one eight hundred phone a friend and if you if that phone a friend happens to be an engineer at Cadillac who is uh, willing to help you over the phone, man, I tell you, that's big. That's 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 really big. But then uh, some of the people who've been with me a long time, like Hoosier Tire and uh, Mobile Oil, uh, you know that I I started had Mobile Oil on my car starting back in 1983, 84 when I first started racing. So it's been that long with uh, with the folks at Mobile. So that's been been really big. Uh, it's been a great relationship. And then Hawk products with hawk pads and uh, hawk brake parts that's also been a real mainstay i've been with them a long time and and i think uh, we've worked uh, together really well so i love that and then joe Alani with uh, phoenix racing uh has been just he and i have known each other for a long time uh when i first met joe he was renting a ride in uh one of uh the cars on the team i was running in firehawk back in uh in 1988, 89. Sure. And uh, that's where he, he had been running in the in SECA prior to that, uh, doing his own thing. But then he decided to to push himself a bit and get into some uh, pro racing. And, and that's where he started, was doing that. And then developed into uh, a team that's a, a hell of a force right yeah. now to for anybody to reckon with. If you, if uh, Phoenix Racing is uh, racing in your class, you know you've got to, Got your work ahead of you. Yeah, if you beat those guys, so you've that, done something good. Yeah, 
And then Drew, who's uh, who's uh, running the team, general manager. I've also known him a long time. He was a one of the technicians on uh, on the teams that I ran if, with in in uh, Firehawk Racing and uh, 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 all the all the endurance racing through the 1990s and into the 2000s. Drew was one of the technicians, and he just decided he wanted to run his own cars, and uh, and so he's been doing that since and. And he's been quite successful. He had Don Knowles uh, win a couple championships sure. with of, with Don Knowles, and then uh, a couple with me. And so we've we're having a great time. Cool. And uh, and then my wife, uh, who is uh, unfortunately she's uh, she's fairly laid up right now. She just had a pretty serious accident about a week and a half ago, helping me load the Cadillac to go to the racetrack. Uh-oh. And she tri- tripped over the ramp and uh, did some pretty serious damage in the hospital for a few days and. And now is uh, in recovery. So, um, without her, I don't know if I'd be able to do ever do any of this. So well, we we wish her a speedy recovery. And you bet, you bet. She won't be able to make it to the runoffs, but uh, I know she'll be there in spirit. Well, you'll just have to bring home another medal for her. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Uh, did I hear you sneaking earlier that you're a bourbon guy? Yes, I am. All right, so I've got a, a Corvette Mobile One story that I'm going to share with you at, at VIR over a, over. We'll clink a glass of bourbon, and I'll tell you the okay. story, and I guarantee you'll get a good laugh out of it. Um, and uh, I look forward to doing that. Okay, sounds good. All right, John. What, what kind of what kind of bourbon do you want me to bring? Oh well, I'll have <laughs> some as well. So we'll we'll we'll, and I'm sure your bourbon will be better than my bourbon. Um, but uh, we'll we'll connect and and uh, we'll definitely share some there. So we'll do that. John Heinrich, 16-time national champion. Thank you so much. And uh, that is going to do it for another episode of Inside the SECA. Did you like what you hear? Subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network or the Racing Network on YouTube so you won't miss any episodes. Also, be great if you leave a comment, especially if it's a good one. Follow us on social media to find out who our next guest is and leave a question. On Twitter, it's at RacingWireNet. You can catch us every week with a new episode of Inside the SECA. That would be on uh, Wednesday nights. We're live here on YouTube. And then, of course, the podcast comes down on Friday mornings. I'm Brian Belansky. Have yourself a great weekend. Stay safe and go play with cars. I'm Dorsey Schrader, and when I'm on my way to a race, I'll listen to the SCCA podcast inside the short bus. Inside the SCCA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rule 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests and not that of the SCCA.